ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Wrexham was a Hollywood movie. Luton Town has just taken football fairy tales to another level. Nine years ago, this quaint team was in the fifth tier of English football. Now, they're going to the Premier League. This is a side whose home ground is so old school. It backs onto terrace houses. You have to walk through people's backyards to get into the grandstand. Did we mention that in their must-win game at Wembley, their skipper collapsed on the pitch in front of 87,000 people? Despite that anguish, Luton Town endured. This story is straight drama. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. Rich Bayless has operated as a broadcaster and filmmaker. He's currently working in London as the head of football for IMG Rich. For the uninitiated, can you explain the Premier League promotion playoff game to us? Well, it is often regarded as the most expensive or most lucrative, I should say, game in football. It's not because there's any private money necessarily. It's just purely because the financial windfall of being in the Premier League is worth so much. Roughly $300 million Australian is what Luton Town, by winning the championship playoff final, can guarantee themselves because of the TV rights revenue you get from being in the Premier League. It massively dwarfs what you would get in the championship or clearly in the league's lower. So the tension you get around a playoff final from the championship, it's next worldly. Honestly, it's so hard to explain. And having been in the stadium for the one at the weekend, it's just a, a tension all to itself. So to, to come through that, to survive that playoff final and to make it to the Premier League, it's such a big deal for any club. Tell me about the two protagonists who went head-to-head over the weekend, Coventry and Luton. So it really was the perfect Hollywood scenario, if you like, in terms of the two teams, because Luton Town, they were in the top tier of English football just before the Premier League started. So they won the League Cup in 87. They were there just before the Premier League started in the early 90s. But from there, they went all the way down to the fifth tier. They went down to non-league or the conference, as it's known, only 14 years ago. Financially, they were in ruin. You know, they were all over the place and a lot of people thought they would go out of business so for them to come back to the championship let alone to be in the playoff final is a remarkable story in itself Luton Town are into the Premier League but even Coventry you know their story was maybe somewhat overshadowed by Luton but actually they were almost on the brink of non-league themselves and only five years ago they were in the fourth tier of English football and it shows the snakes and ladders aspect to English football. But here they were, the two sides back at Wembley, fighting over that one spot. And as I said, the tension, you know, really encapsulated the mood of both sets of fans, knowing that, you know, you just don't know whether you'll get back to this stage again. You really did feel that they knew, like, this was their opportunity or they might never get there again. So an emotionally charged atmosphere. And what happened to the Luton captain? How did that impact things even further? 
So this is the thing, you know, if you think about Wrexham, right, you know, the global sort of interest in Wrexham at the moment is that Hollywood, literal Hollywood story. Mm. Luton are the extension of that because they have come from non-league. They've come from where Wrexham have been this season. And the way this match started had that Hollywood subtext to it in their captain, Tom Lockyer, who's been phenomenal for them in defence all season long. Great leader, scored in the playoff semi-final at home to get them through to the final. Ten minutes in, he collapses on the pitch. It's Lockyer who's down here for Luton Town, which would be a real concern for Rob Edwards. The medical staff are on, and Tom Lockyer is face down on the Wembley turf here. And this really doesn't look good at all, does it? There didn't seem to be any great collision or contact or anything on Tom Lockyer. In the stadium, nobody really knew what was happening. He went off on the stretcher. It took a long time for play to get back underway. And even towards the latter stages of the match, Luton's players didn't know how their own captain was. He was in hospital at the time, and it wasn't really until post-game that they knew, you know, he was up and watching the game and in good spirits. Locks went down, and obviously everyone's thinking, oh, what's up, what's happened to him? You know, it's scary. Fingers crossed, I think I've heard he's all right. You know, he's, he's up and he's talking and he's with his family, which is the main thing, and... That was the gaffer's message just to do it for him. You know, for the fact that they were able to play through that is honestly remarkable. It's astonishing to think about the anguish that these players must have been dealing with in that moment. In that, trying to sort of deal with that pressure cooker, how did the game unfold? Well, they went ahead, like, not long after Lockyer went off, actually. Doughty. McFadgen sticking close to Adebayo. He's done pretty well. He's done extremely well. He's done brilliantly. You know, they were in the ascendancy the first half. It was all Luton, pretty much. And Luton have the lead with Jordan Clark's ripper into the back of the Coventry net. You know, the high press was great. They had so much more energy. Coventry were barely in it in that first half. They really struggled. They were actually lucky to go into halftime 1-0 down. You know, Luton went ahead, one half of the stadium, and if anyone sees the pictures, literally one half is the orange or the the deep red, if you like, of Luton, and the other half is the sky blue of Coventry. One half, completely silent, and as Luton go ahead, you know, the other half goes absolutely mad. But the second half was a pretty much a complete flip. Mark Robbins, the manager of Coventry, must have given a great team talk because Coventry came out firing in the second half. Predictably, of course, a lot of playoff finals, they go the distance, and this one did. It went into extra time. There was a disallowed goal for Luton right at the end of it. You thought that was the decider, but there was a handball in the build-up. Luton celebrate, but there is a check going on here for a possible handball. It's been turned over. Can you believe what we have seen this the afternoon. goal is ruled out. Of course, when there's so much tension already in that massive bowl that is Wembley Stadium with 86,000 people in it, of course it was going to penalties. As is always the case with penalties, there's a hero, there's a villain. Who played the roles on this occasion, Rich? Well, the amazing thing was, Stucky, that the quality of penalties was on another level. The first 11 were all tucked away into the corner, really high quality. The keepers had absolutely no look in. It was also played, the penalty shootout, at Luton's end. So you've got this wall of orange. You know, it had to fall the way it did ultimately. And Fancardi Darbo, who came off the bench... You just wonder for this guy, you want the ground to open up. And while you've got half the stadium, you know, going mad, celebrating, running around the Luton players and staff, 
I kept an eye on Darbo and for the maybe five, ten minutes potentially, he had different staffers coming up and, you know, crying into their arms and you just think, wow, this poor guy. I mean, the tension of that moment as we've discussed, the importance of it, you know, to be the guy at centre stage. I mean, fair play to him for walking up and, and doing it, but, you know, it's going to take quite some time to get over. Unbelievable to think it all comes down to almost a flip of the coin. Luton are victorious, Richard. So we know they're going through to the Premier League now. Can you just tell me how they're going to cope in the top flight? Because as I understand it, they're not necessarily a powerhouse. Uh, Their stadium arguably makes Leichhardt Oval look positively first class. Uh, What sort of (laughs) challenges are they going to face? Well, this is a crazy thing. You know, talking to some mates at the game on the weekend, it was like, well, hang on a second. This stadium is 10,000 people. How have they half-filled Wembley? You know, they're a community club. They play in this stadium, Kenilworth Road, which is fascinating because... Yeah, it's hosted top flight football before, but not for 30 plus years. And if you look at it, I encourage anybody to look it up online. It is seriously outdated. For the away fans, you actually walk through, literally through terrace houses into the entrance, into one of the gates is built into terrace houses. You would never know there's a stadium pretty much in the backyard of these streets in Luton. It is aged, but it has so much character to it. I mean, one of the stands is effectively like a clubhouse. So they're going to have to spend about 10 million pounds, 20 million Australian or so to get it up to Premier League standards. And that's just to make sure there are press conference rooms and support areas and media spaces and enough platforms for cameras. It's a huge job, but I'm sure given, as we said, that $300 million windfill that's coming the club's way, you know, that will be well and truly worth it to get it up to those standards. But, you know, the other thing is it's not just the infrastructure for this club. There are players, Peli Rodak Mapanzu is a player that actually played in the fifth tier with this club. He will become the first player to play for one club in five divisions in English football. That's crazy. You know what? I feel like I'm football, man. Uh, I feel like I retire. I retire in the summer now. I'm done, but um, now, man, it's been a journey, right? It's the sort of story that you kind of dream about, I, I suppose, but you never think would actually happen. They are the first club to make it happen. It makes Wrexham look positively play school. It's like, here's one we prepared earlier. This is the real deal. It must give clubs like Wrexham, though, enormous hope. And I imagine it's a great advertisement for would-be owners for those lower-tier teams to get involved. Absolutely. Well, it shows that the potential is there and the timeliness around the National League at the moment with Wrexham coming through there, the story with Notts County. In terms of TV interest, not just in the UK, but globally, it's gone to a whole new level. We know the power of the Premier League and by extension, you know, the championship as well. But all of a sudden now, a lot of people around the world are looking at the pyramid system. And this is a system that's been around for a long, long time, Stacky, as you know. So for the first time, almost North America has come on board and said, hang on a second, there's something in this, both from a a viewership perspective, but also, you know, prospective owners. I think you'll see more and more foreign ownership coming into those lower league clubs, knowing that, you know, for a relative pittance, or certainly, you know, lower investment, you can get a club from the fourth or fifth tier of English football all the way to the Premier League. You know that I'm a cynic, so let's end on a negative. (laughs) Really uplifting. (laughs) We've tasted the joy of Premier League promotion. Give us a taste of the pain. Overnight, we learned which three teams would be cut from the top flight. And I hate to ask this of you. A known lead's tragic, but it is my duty as a reporter to mine your misery for content. How did the final day play out for the three teams? Leeds, Leicester, Everton trying to fit into the one safe spot. Yeah, well, in regards to Leeds, I mean, the word tragic is doing a fair bit of heavy heavy lifting there, Stacky. It always has. Southampton were already down, so there were three teams vying basically for one spot of safety. So Everton, Leicester and Leeds. Leeds conceded at home to Tottenham in the first couple of minutes. Here's Son. Now Harry Kane! And he 
sweeps Tottenham into the lead. It is a nightmare start for Leeds. They really had no chance anyway, and that's not just me being negative. Realistically, they're a poor side. As a club, they've been poorly run, and they didn't deserve to survive. So they go behind early, and they're pretty much out of the race. They then go and fold 4-1 to Tottenham, and the crowd uh, was banged for blood. It was ugly. It was toxic. Leeds United relegated from the Premier League. They came here hoping, but they will spend the summer hurting. But Leicester are the other club that goes down with them because Everton at Goodison Park, all they had to do against Bournemouth was win. But this is a team that can't score goals. They scored a ripper through Adelaide Decore. And all of a sudden, you know, they're up in Leicester despite winning at home to West Ham. 2-1, they go down. The crazy thing about this, and we talk about clubs that come out of nowhere, Leicester in the last 10 years have come from two divisions down into the Premier League, have pulled off the mother of all shocks in winning the Premier League in 2016. And here we are seven years later and they're relegated back to the championship. There's no guarantee you bounce back up because there are clubs like Luton and Coventry and Middlesbrough that can pop up on their day. And then we see Plymouth and Ipswich, you know, you come up through League One, you know, this thing moves at a rate of knots. And if you don't run a club well, this is what happens. Rich, pain for you. Joy for the people from Luton. Thanks so much yes. for your time. <laughs> Cheers, Thacky. Headlines. Staying with football for a second, Sam Kerr scored twice as Chelsea beat Reading 3-0 to claim the Women's Super League over Manchester United. That means the Australian wins the FA Cup League double. We did an episode on appreciating her greatness with Sam Lewis a couple of weeks back. Take a listen. The link is in the show notes. Big, big news out of the New South Wales camp with Latrell Mitchell ruled out of State of Origin Game 1 with a calf injury in an enormous blow for the Blues. It was very emotional. So, like I said, it just showed that where he's at at the moment, he wants to play and he wants the best stage and the biggest stage and disappointing that he's not going to play, not just obviously for our team, but league, everyone, everyone. A lot goes with Latrell. Uh, it's a shame we don't get to see him playing State of Origin, but... Given he'll be right, I'm sure he'll be there for game two. Stephen Crichton will take his place in the centres, while Matt Burton is added to the broader squad as 18th man. Max Verstappen won the Monaco Grand Prix from Fernando Alonso as he extended his overall lead in the title race over Sergio Perez, who finished 16th. Some encouraging news for Oscar Piastri. He finished 10th, earning points for the second time in his short career. Thanasi Kokonakis has enjoyed a straight sets win over Britain's Dan Evans to move into the second round of the French Open. He's joined by fellow Australians Jason Kubler and Storm Hunter. He's hoping there's more of it. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Poppy Penny. Thanks to Luton Town FC, BN Sports, Sky Sports and Optus Sports for the extra audio used in this episode.